The following podcast episode contains explicit content pertaining to gun violence and assault. Keep this in mind for deciding if, when, and how you will listen. Hello, Glitterbats! Welcome back to Trinity Radio, a monthly podcast where we discuss goth and electronic music and the culture that surrounds it. I'm your host, DJ Tesherine, and this is episode six, Which Please. We're going to myth bust six common stereotypes of goth people. As always, there will be music. We've got shock rock, neoclassical dark wave, operatic techno, and more. We'll cite some research, historical events, and interviews with self proclaimed goths. Now let the magic begin. You're listening to Trinity Radio. Many people's first, if not only, introduction to the goth subculture is through popular media. While it can be exciting for our subculture to receive any recognition, the representation is often stereotypical or even stigmatized. In social psychology, a stereotype is a widely held, oversimplified view that's applied to a whole group of people, but usually only taken from a small subset. So you meet one person, make some assumptions, and assume those to represent the whole. Stereotypes and general assumptions about people can often lead to prejudice, discrimination, and unnecessary divides. But the subculture is actually very diverse and deep. So today, we'll discuss the rich history of goth in an effort to correct any erroneous generalizations. So what makes a person goth? I mean, at a glance, people probably think it's someone who wears black and likes all kinds of dark shit. And they're not wrong. I mean, really, any subculture is united by a specific ideology or value or look. People who identify as goth often have a shared interest in music and fashion, and they take pride in presenting themselves as very different from the mainstream culture. To expand on that, the gothic subculture can be defined as lovers of goth rock music, gothic literature, Victorian and medieval history, and contemporary horror cinematography. Hence why this podcast is a culture commentary with music as the crux, because goth is first and foremost a music-based subculture. The goth music era started in the late 1970s when English goth rock music was emerging in the wake of punk. Like punk, goth bands rejected the perceived mainstream. Punk typically produced short, fast-paced songs with these hard-edged melodies and singing styles, stripped-down instrumentation, and lyrics about politics. Like punk, goth was born out of this youthful rebellion, angst, frustration, depression, and a passion for the arts. To quote journalist Sasha Geffen of Pitchfork, Goth songs were marked by, quote, echoes, distortion, minimal guitar lines, and an arch taste for the macabre. Goth's electroshocked hair, smears of black eyeliner, and dark clothes only reinforced this vibe, end quote. The music of choice was commonly referred to as death rock and post-punk, and bands like Bauhaus, Susie and the Banshees, The Damned, and Sisters of Mercy reigned supreme. Fans of this music consider themselves to be counterculture individuals whose ideals were consistent with free thinking and freedom of expression and the fashion depicts their choice to separate from these conventional norms. That's the deeper definition of goth. But this episode is about stereotypes, and stereotypes are not that deep. So what is goth at a glance? According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, one of the definitions of goth is a person who wears mostly black clothing, uses dark dramatic makeup, and often has dyed black hair. All right, we're already off to a very superficial start. And if you run a Google image search for the keywords goth person, 18 photos appear. 16 out of the 18 people have jet black hair. 17 have heavy eyeliner. 
and all 18 are pale, fair, or white-skinned. And this leads us to our first stereotype, goths are white. If you Google goth people in pop culture, the results are very similar. We have Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice, Eric Draven from The Crow, Abby Shudo from CSI, Edward Scissorhands, and the entire Adams Family. And the alleged founders of the music are no exception. Take a look at Susie Sue, Dave Vanian of The Damned, and Johnny Slut of Specimen. They're all very white. Once again, music is the heart of the goth subculture, and these are all the faces of it. But it is an emerging truth that Black musicians have always pioneered music. Goth and post-punk are no exception. So it's important that today's first featured artist is a tribute to goth music's true roots. The first instance of the darkness being put front and center, both in sound and aesthetic, was the song I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Born in 1929, Hawkins was an African-American rhythm and blues, rock and roll, and shock rock musician. Hawkins was born into a predominantly Black area in Cleveland, Ohio, but was adopted and raised by a community of Blackfoot Native Americans. In 1951, Scream and Jay started making R&B, soul, and rock and roll. At first, the song I Put a Spell on You was meant to be a ballad, a love song. But the producer thought the song sounded a little too stiff, so he encouraged Scream and Jay and the band to make it more animated, like they were actually bewitching someone. This is Scream and Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You on Trinity Radio. I put a spell on you. Because you're mine Stop the things you do <laughs> What's up? I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. 
I Put a Spell on You was later covered by Nina Simone, Annie Lennox, and Marilyn Manson. Bette Midler also performed this song in the Disney Halloween cult classic Hocus Pocus. Other dark Scream and Jay songs are called Little Demon, Baptize Me in the Wine, and There's Something Wrong with You. To capitalize on his demented sound, Hawkins would perform in a long cape, and he'd come on stage by rising out of a coffin in the midst of smoke and fog. Hawkins wore tusks under his nose, wore snakes around his neck, and carried this cigarette-smoking skull that he named Henry. His theatrical act was one of the first shock rock performances, and his macabre aesthetic would later strongly influence the goth scene. As a black man, flaunting these shocking, dark props at the time was really opposite to the conservative sensibilities of the 1950s. In the 50s, racial segregation and discrimination were still alive and well in the U.S., and the civil rights movement had yet to take hold. With goth being a counterculture movement, Screamin' Jay's performance style might seem appropriate, but back then it was pretty foolish, if not dangerous. In this interview with Poker Party, Screamin' Jay discusses what it was like touring his shock rock music in the 1950s. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the past. Now, you were on the road quite a bit in the 50s. Were you on any of those Alan Freed traveling shows that went from city to city? About 14. Yeah. With the very first one in Cleveland, Ohio, in 1953, at the arena where the first time in the history of that bigot, prejudiced town, <laughs> they had black and white kids not fighting, but dancing and enjoying themselves. But they did tear down the upholstery, the draperies. They tore the curtains off the stage, and Alan Free stood out there just as bold and says, I will pay all damages. But rock and roll got its bad name from that show, and it got worse after they went to Boston and people got killed. But no one seems to realize rock and roll is not bad. But in those days, it was. Today, in 1987, now they talk about rock and roll like it's a good thing because they ain't got another new word to go to. Heavy metal, new wave. Now, Mick Jock is the king of rock and roll. If he knew how to play Caledonia, he would be. <laughs> Hearing that story really tugs at my heartstrings. To know the adversity that Screamin' Jay had to face to make that kind of music at the time is just really inspiring and also kind of saddening. Hawkins passed away in 2000. In his time with us, he released 15 studio albums. So to say that goths are always pale or white is an inaccurate fallacy. One suspicion as to why paleness and whiteness are so revered in the goth subculture could stem from the 80s. This is when the music was starting to take hold. But in the mainstream, there was this desire to be really tanned and look sporty. Think of all the aerobics classes that were happening in the 80s. By dressing in cloaked fashion and having white makeup, goths could counter this ideal. In the 90s, this more vampire-esque look started to take hold, with movies like Bram Stoker's Dracula and Interview with the Vampire being in the spotlight. Ray-Ban fashion became more popular, leather jackets, etc. I find that nowadays, if you go to a goth night, seeing people with that really ghastly pale look is actually pretty rare. It happens, but it's not everyone or even the majority who do that. Goths who look ghost white certainly go the extra mile to make themselves look that way, because being unnaturally pale can make one look cadaverous, vampire-esque, or even like a Tim Burton character. It's certainly an aesthetic, but it's not the guideline, and considering how much effort it takes to achieve this look, it should not be regarded as a beauty ideal or a standard. The goth community is open and available to people of all colors, and you don't need to paint your face to be included. Trinity Radio. 
As we dispel stereotypes of goths, it's necessary to understand where some of these cliches derive from and why people carry these attitudes. We know that goth is a music-based subculture, but the subculture also admires other art forms like old literature, horror films, Victorian fashion, and architecture. Each of these art forms were influenced by Romanticism, which was the style of art and literature that emerged in the early 1800s. Art in this era took an interest in individuality over group thinking, which could explain why goths tend to be radical and independent thinkers. Romanticism also explored the spectrum of human emotion and used old verse poetry to express melancholy. This brings us to our next stereotype. Goths are depressed. Are you as excited as I am? Um, by the sounds of it, no. Where the heck does this come from? One explanation may trace back to the Romantic era. Romantic literature is characterized by both somber and light-hearted themes. These themes are imagination, fear, trauma, paranormal events, and death, as well as themes of individuality, the love of nature, and elevated emotions. One example is the Gothic literature piece Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1818. In the 1830s, there was Edgar Allan Poe, a dark poet who wrote poems about man's descent into madness, torture, and death. There is Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Gaston LaRue's Phantom of the Opera. These old art forms are now staples of the subculture. They appear as modern-day plays, films, Halloween costumes, etc. Gothic literature was also characterized by motifs of weather and natural phenomena, such as rain, darkness, winters, fogs, and storms. These depictions are associated with inhospitable environments, winter blues, and having a bleak outlook on life. So this could explain why goths like things like fog machines, dead trees, candles, and gloom. But does being attracted to this stuff make you depressed? Not necessarily. Lowness and feeling depressed are emotional states, but having depression or major depressive disorder is a persistent mental illness. This is a very important distinction to make because the goth subculture is a small minority of the population, but major depressive disorder is actually one of the most common mental disorders in the United States. According to the World Health Organization, 5% of adults and 4% of teens suffer from major depressive disorder. So there's a difference between feeling depressed and having depression. It may seem like a subtle and unnecessary distinction to make, but there is very specific medical diagnostic criterion for identifying and diagnosing major depressive disorder. This criterion can be found in the DSM-5, aka the essential textbook diagnostic tool used by the American Psychiatric Association. This is information as of 2022. To be diagnosed with major depressive disorder, individuals must be experiencing five or more of the following symptoms, and these symptoms need to be present for most of the day, nearly every day, for at least two weeks. The symptoms are a depressed mood, a loss of interest in doing daily activities, significant appetite changes or weight changes, severe fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, indecisiveness, diminished concentration or self-worth, recurrent thoughts of death, or suicide ideation. Again, while this may be stringent criteria, having depression is one of the most common illnesses and it can really impair someone's functioning in their daily life. Please note, I am not a psychiatrist or a qualified mental health provider by any means, but the reason I bring this up is because depression can impact literally anyone. Risk factors for having or developing depression are a complex interaction between psychological, social, and biological factors, as well as adverse life events. 
So part of this is your genes, your physiology, and also major life events like grief, bullying, relationship changes, money issues, etc. None of these symptoms or risk factors include what kind of music you listen to, what clothes you wear, what kind of books you read, or who you choose to be for Halloween. On that note, trying to change these things about yourself doesn't put you any less at risk either. With all this said, I wanted to play something upbeat to show you not all goth stuff is sad. This next band needs no introduction. The Cure is one of the most definitive bands of the rock genre, specifically goth rock and post-punk. This song, in my opinion, is one of the most upbeat and happy songs in the genre. From their album Wish, this is Doing the Unstuck on Trinity Radio. It's a perfect day for letting go for setting fire to bridges, boats, and other dreary worlds, you know. And let's get happy. It's a perfect day for making out. To wake up with a smile without a doubt. To first green, giggle, biscuit, jump, sing, and shout. Let's get happy. But it's most too late to say we'll do this now. Should have done it then, well it just goes to show How wrong you can be and how you really should know That it's never too late to get up
That was Doing the Unstuck by The Cure. It's off their ninth studio album, Wish. While retaining their trademark gothic rock sound and some mood on the tracks, Wish often found the band emphasizing the lighter, broader guitar-driven stuff out of their catalog. It was one of the most commercially successful albums that they had, and it debuted at number one in the UK and number two in the US, where it sold over a million copies. Music videos from Wish include their songs, Hi and Friday I'm in Love. Hi has lead singer Robert Smith flying this kite through this really bright blue and yellow sky. Video for Friday I'm in Love shows the band dancing in strobes with bubbles, glitter. They're wearing white and gold. There's backdrops changing from bleak landscapes to bright tropical beaches. And the blacks in the video are the deepest shade of black. All this mixing and matching really sounds like romanticism to me. But it would be naive and a flat-out lie to say that The Cure didn't have some of the most bleak and somber songs. Lyrically, yeah, most of it's from direct experience. Some of it is, some of it isn't. Obviously the ones where uh, I drown aren't from direct experience. As one of the most influential bands in the gothic realm, this brings us to the question, are goths more likely to be depressed than other people? I was only able to find a single study on this topic. In 2006, researchers Robert Young, Sweeting, and West conducted a study to find the risk of depression in goth adolescents. The researchers examined 1,200 teens from Glasgow, Scotland, from when they were ages 11 up until they were 19 years old. The findings show that 6% of those who did not identify as goths met the criteria for depression, while 18% of those who identified as goths met the criteria. But another highlight finding. The researchers observed that many of these people reported being depressed before they started identifying as goth. This could suggest that young people with depression might have a tendency to be attracted to the goth subculture, but it might also suggest that having the peer support and belonging could be a positive influence that altered their feelings of depression. There are flaws in this study. This is a 2006 study, so it's like almost 20 years old, and that predates certain progressive attitudes toward alternative living, for better or worse. Another limitation is that the sample size is quite small and only looks at adolescents, not adults or other groups of people. As mentioned before, major depressive disorder is determined by an interaction between major life events, biological factors, and genes. Correlation is not the same as causation. Just because there was a statistical connection between these teens and being goth, it doesn't mean that one caused one another. Goths tend to value honestly engaging with their emotions, and the culture definitely has a slightly perverse sense of community stemming from a we're all kind of fucked up in some way or another sort of vibe, so let's be friends. I want to stress that goths don't glorify being depressed or mental illness. Goths are more open about their experience with the taboo, and given that mental illness and disorders are still considered taboo, goth people might just be more open to discussing depression or even identifying with it. But they can also be engaged, social, upbeat, optimistic, and a host of other elevated characteristics. So by making a claim that most people who are goth have depression or most people who have depression are goth can really create this confusion about what depression can truly look like, and have people hiding their depression rather than getting help. So if any of the signs, risks, or symptoms that I described earlier might resonate with you, there is help, so much help. You can start by reaching out to a healthcare provider such as your primary care doctor, their psychiatrists, counselors, social workers, and other qualified mental health care professionals that can tell you about the very many evidence-based tools for treatment and to help you through this. 
So far, we established that a goth is someone who sees beauty in the dark side of life. Although this doesn't necessarily make one a bad or twisted person, embracing darkness can be looked down upon in today's society, and it can just be flat out associated with evil. This is one of the most common stereotypes I've heard. Goths worship Satan. It's a fucking idiot kind of religion. Brought in religion, they're just junk. Satan is mentioned in the Abrahamic religions. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. The Christian Holy Bible is the most popular and widely available source of information about Satan. And with 31% of the world practicing Christianity, we're just going to focus on the Christian lens of Satan, aka the devil. In Christian doctrine, there is believed to be one creator, aka God. And God is regarded as the eternal holiness, the symbol of justice, omnibenevolence, transcendence of human suffering, and everlasting life. Satan, or the devil, is the fallen angel, the entity of falsehood who seduces human into temptation, sin, and corruption. Basically, Satan is the opposite of God. So to say that Goths worship Satan is pretty much to cluster this community as sinister and evil. <laughs> Yikes. But before we get into that rumor, let's set the tone with some music. The next artist is Deform. Since 1977, Deform has been making some of the darkest synth-pop and neoclassical dark wave. Their music is a mix of classic operatic-like vocals and electronic emulations of creepy, organic sounds. This interplay of the prim and primal. This is Deform, Bite of God on Trinity Radio.
That was the French dark wave industrial band Deform, Light of God. The lyrics are conflicting. On one hand, you have this woman singing out to God. Then there's this seductive lower register singing, Animal fever. <laughs> this could allude to man's primitive desire for eroticism, temptation, seduction. These are the supposed tenets of Satanism. Bite of God is from the album Ad Finitum. On the cover of Ad Finitum is a nun, but instead of her wearing her conservative garb, this nun is wearing a tight corset and her large breasts are propped all the way up. And to top it off, you have goths singing it. So yeah, this can kind of pigeonhole goths as sacrilegious blasphemers. Probably, right? But does this make goths Satan worshippers? I mean, to answer this question, we need to clarify some key terms. Satanism and worship. Worship is showing regard with great respect, honor, or devotion. People can worship with prayer, ceremonies, or performing rituals. Christian worship tends to revolve around God and the belief that God has a pre-planned design for the world's fate. You can also call this God's plan. So Christian worship involves surrendering control, things like fear, anger, or regret, and instead having faith in God's plan, which promises harmony and the end of all suffering. That's worship. In Satanism, well, there are two main types of Satanism we're going to look at. The first is theistic Satanism. Theistic Satanism views Satan as a literal supernatural deity, like how Christians see God. Then there is atheistic Satanism. An example of a group of people who practice atheistic Satanism is the Satanic Temple. The Satanic Temple is actually a non-theistic secular religion, and the mission is to generate attention and prompt people to reevaluate their fears, perception, and thoughts around religious hypocrisy. So atheistic Satanism is the absence of a god altogether. Another form of atheistic Satanism is this viewpoint that Satan is actually a metaphor of the cosmos. Satan is not looked at as a conscious entity to be worshipped, but rather a bit of power inside of every human that we can tap into at will. In atheistic Satanism, aka the more common type of Satanism, there is no deity to worship. So that debunks the rumor for a lot of people that goths worship the devil. But in some viewpoints, Satanism can also include the practice of interfacing with the supernatural by which people think they can bring about certain outcomes. Now, depending on your belief system, this can be called magic, witchcraft, or science. The ancient definition of magic originates from the Iranian word magos, meaning priest. And then there's the Greek origin, magikos, meaning magical. And then the English word meaning mage, or the plural form of that being magi. Now, the plural form of magi can also point to the three magi who visited the Christian baby Jesus at the nativity. So, yeah, depending on how you look at it, magic can have a holy connotation to it, and thereby Satanism can have a holy connotation to it. So what does this have to do with goths? The goth aesthetic heavily relies on often misinterpreted symbols that are actually present in both Abrahamic and pagan religions. There are the pentagram, which is in pagan and esoteric literature, the triple moon, a Wiccan symbol, the hexagram used by Jews, Christians, Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists, the famous inverted cross, which is really the cross of St. Peter, which is really a Christian symbol. So when St. Peter was condemned to be crucified, he asked that his cross be upside down because he felt he was unworthy to be hung on a cross the way Christ was. And Satanists kind of repurposed this inverted cross to mean that they were rejecting Christ, but that's not 
how that actually goes. There is the Ankh, which is a cross with a teardrop shape as the upper bar. And this is actually the ancient Egyptian symbol used in Egyptian art, meaning life. It's not a devil symbol. So in short, a lot of these symbols actually have very holy, pure, sacred meanings. But I got to be real here, right? I can't just cherry pick the things to build my case. I have to present the facts. Holiness and goodness are symbolized by the colors white and gold, right? White for purity and light as gold. Satanism uses more black and silver, which are the staples of goth fashion. Then there's the appreciation for vampires, which are painted as soul-sucking creatures who defy God by defying his plan and the will for mortality. And coming back to the music, right, there are unfortunately well-known musicians associated with the gothic subculture who have used satanic imagery profusely for the shock factor, like Marilyn Manson, for example. Thus, all goths became guilty by association in the public eye. But contrary to the generalization, goths are regular people not characterized by their religion. The next song is a collaboration with the industrial techno artist I Hate Models and dark electronic artist Zanias. I Hate Models music is classified by thunderous percussion which invokes moods often juxtaposing darkness and light. Zanias, who we've heard on here before, graces us with her bewitching vocals. They aren't lyrics per se, the words are indiscernible. They're more like prayers and chants, suggestive of a primal, spiritual invocation of something. This song is Valpogus Night on Trinity Radio. Thank <laughs> you. 
That was Valpurgis Night by I Hate Models featuring Zanius. St. Valpurga was hailed by the Christians of Germany for battling pests, rabies, whooping cough, and witchcraft. But in German folklore, Walpurgisnacht was believed to be a night that witches met in the mountains. To ward off evil and protect themselves and their livestock, people would traditionally hide in the hillsides and light bonfires. So here you have a song that pays homage to a saint, not the devil. Regardless of who we're saying about, the guidelines that constitute right and wrong more often than not are corrupted by politics and imperialism, not this innate goodness or evil that anyone possesses. Yet the thought of worshipping something other than what is considered to be the great source of benevolence can be seen as scary, evil, violent, and twisted. But here's a bit of irony for you. To worship God, Christians pray, confess their sins to appointed clergy, and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Those who repent can line up on Sundays to consume Holy Communion, which is a blessed bread and wine. The Holy Communion is symbolic of the body and blood of Christ. By consuming His flesh and blood, worshipers can have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more vampiric, cannibalistic, and twisted than eating the flesh and drinking the blood of another human. Trinity Radio. Our next myth to bust is a very important one, as out of all these myths mentioned, it probably causes the most unnecessary fear of goths. Goths are represented in literature, fiction, pop culture, and movies in a number of ways, many of which are entertaining and sometimes even endearing. However, in the mass media, it is more often than not negative. Key historical events of goths in the media, unfortunately, involve supposed goths as both perpetrators and victims of violence. Nearly 25 years ago, the United States would grieve through what was, at the time, the deadliest mass shooting at a school in history. The Columbine High School Massacre was a school shooting and attempted bombing that occurred in 1999 in Columbine, Colorado. Ten students were killed and 21 were injured by gunshots. The two gunmen were also students who took their lives that same day. The motive for the attacks is inconclusive. And because of this, as we established, humans fear what they don't understand. After the shooting, the gunmen were under a lot of scrutiny by the press. The press highlighted what the gunmen wore, who they associated with, their interests, and the journal one left behind. The press emphasized that the gunmen often wore black trench coats in school as a part of their daily outfits. The gunmen supposedly hated jocks, admired Nazis, and identified as goths. The gunmen also claimed that they were fans of the German industrial band KMFDM. Following the Columbine incident, KMFDM made a statement stating, quote, KMFDM are an art form, not a political party. From the beginning, our music has been a statement against war, oppression, fascism, and violence against others. While some of the former band members are German, as reported in the media, none of us condone any Nazi beliefs whatsoever, end quote. So to set things straight and dispel the idea that goth music encourages violence, I want to play a song by KMFDM. This is Anarchy, one of their greats. The lyrics question society's roles in established order. It also talks about overcoming oppression and creating a brighter future. This is KMFDM Anarchy on Trinity Radio.
That was Anarchy by the industrial band KMFDM. The acronym KMFDM is an initialism for the nonsensical and grammatically incorrect German phrase which essentially translates to no pity for the majority. In April 1999, one media source, the Washington Post, came around and described the Columbine gunman as, quote, white supremacists, and the music that they loved was actually anti-racist, end quote. This historical event happened nearly uh, 25 years ago, but it's still very heavy. Um, my sympathies are still with those who were killed, traumatized, or affected by this crime or crimes similar to this that still happen today. The Columbine incident was a pivotal point when Goss would experience negative stereotyping from the press. Eight years later, there was another tragic murder of a woman who was killed just for being different. Sophie Lancaster and her boyfriend, Robert Maltby, were creative, artistic people who dressed in their own, unique way. Their families described them as Goths who were also intelligent and sensitive kids. Not the type of people to get in trouble, but they did have problems because they stood out. On August 11, 2007, in Lancashire, England, Sophie and Robert were attacked by a gang of five boys in the park. The gang attacked Sophie's boyfriend first and then turned on her, carrying out this brutal, sustained attack. Sophie remained in the hospital for 13 days. She died on 24th of August, 2007, at just 20 years old. Sophie's story led to a conscious effort by various goth organizations and foundations to dispel the notion that goths are violent people and that they actually end up being the target of violence. Violence and blind hatred cannot be tolerated at all. We can all do our part to clear up these misconceptions by calling out injustice, reporting abuse when spotted, and stating and obeying codes of conduct in group settings. Trinity Radio. Our next stereotype, stereotype number five, is one I hear all the time, and that is, goths are into BDSM. I chuckle and die on the inside whenever I hear this one, because that's just so far off. Let's define BDSM, shall we? BDSM is an erotic practice involving bondage, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism. So the thought that goths are all into BDSM needs to be set straight because one, it assumes that all goths are sexually active or into sex. Two, that recreational sex is a common interest and therefore an appropriate thing to bring up in common discussion. And three, this assumption can lead to objectification or even harassment. So let's define a few things again. Goth is a music-based subculture. BDSM is a sexual practice that could involve leashing or tying up a partner, um, role play, dress up, or games in which one partner controls one another, or it can also involve giving and receiving painful sensations for pleasure. I want to highlight BDSM is consensual and not abuse. But anyhow, where is the crossover? In a literal sense, none. There is literally none. But the notion that goths are into BDSM may come from the fact that there is a clear style inspiration in goth fashion taken from BDSM and fetish gear. Examples are latex, leather, chokers, harnesses, chains, leashes, fishnets, and so forth. These articles of clothing lend to the stereotype that those who wear said articles are part of the kink and BDSM communities. Goth music also cites some fascination with the BDSM fashion trends and overall the practice of it. Since I'm not personally involved with the BDSM subculture too much, I thought it'd be more helpful to cite some research from a different perspective. 
Orphea is a Belgian goth YouTuber who talks about all things related to the goth subculture, so body mods, music, and fashion, but is also really plugged into the BDSM and deviant sex community. Here are Orphea's observations of BDSM mentioning in goth music. When we get into BDSM influences on the goth subculture, there's a lot of crossover. So now let's look at some songs by bands that are definitely gods. Bauhaus, the song Largatia Nick. One of the parts of the song goes, cranks the whip, come on crack, crank the whip. I mean, can it be any more obvious? Fields of the Nephilim, Submission. Another song that is heavily influenced by BDSM is Susie and the Banshees' Melt. Deepesh Mode's Master and Servant, Boy Harsher's Pain. Now this is of course no way of saying that the normal regular pop culture doesn't use BDSM or fetishes in their music. Rihanna's song SNM is like a literal reference to BDSM. Sticks and stones won't break my bones but chains and whips excite me. I mean that's also very obvious. However in that video she wears clothing that is also fetish and BDSM inspired. And it looks an awful lot like god clothing you see very often. Now there is also a specific subculture within the subculture which is called fetish gods. But what is very important to note is that you do not have to be into fetish or BDSM in order to be able to wear it. One of the main things in BDSM is actually respect and consent. That is extremely important because without consent, without consent and respect, BDSM activities become abuse, and that's not okay. It never is. Sex is highly personal. It's our right to have agency in how we express ourselves and what we wear. And I'd like to add that what we find sexy is not always sexually explicit or overt in fashion. This next song talks about that. Sex Beat sings of diversity, sexiness, understanding, and acceptance. Sex beat is so upbeat and its metrical lyrical structure make it really easy to memorize these lyrics. So it's kind of become this anthem of pride and waving your freak flag, however you do that in the goth community. This is the song Sex Beat by Sex Beat on Trinity Radio. Some are red. 
That was Sex Beat by the band Sex Beat. Sex Beat was formed by a DJ at the Batcave and unfortunately had very little studio output. The song Sex Beat is from the Young and Libs and Numb Hymns compilation. It's such a cool song because it opens up the discussion of sex and celebrates diversity in a lighthearted way. It talks about diversity in age, diversity in relationship dynamics, skin color, and so forth, right? So one can feel sexy without necessarily seeking or wanting sex. It's, it's more so like an attitude you carry. So shout out to my friends who choose to practice abstinence or maybe baby bats who aren't yet exploring that side of themselves yet, those who are asexual, or those who might not be open to that connection at this time. You can wear bondage gear if you want to. And if you choose not to, that doesn't make you any less goth. There are also other very beautiful, interesting goth aesthetics. There's dark fantasy, Victorian, cyber, rivet head, geek goth, rockabilly, whatever. Just be yourself. But if you're also interested in exploring the BDSM world, there are events and interest groups dedicated to sexual exploration, fetish, and play. The world of deviant sex is a subculture of its own, and you don't have to be goth to practice it. There certainly is crossover between the worlds, but contrary to popular belief, most goth clubs actually do not feature sex as an exhibition or BDSM as an exhibition. So we have to clear up this stereotype for a couple reasons, because one, if someone is into BDSM but doesn't really know the guidelines, they shouldn't think of any general club, nightclub, dance club as a place to engage in sexual interaction. And on the other side, if you're interested in participating in the goth subculture, but also assume goth to be associated with only sex and sexual practices, I mean, that might intimidate you from participating if you're not into that. And so... I want to wrap up with two key takeaways. One, no matter what a person is or is not wearing, it is not an invitation for sexual advances. And two, no matter where you go, whether you're in a nightclub, a bar, a sex club, or some party, consent is always the rule. Again, BDSM is not abuse. It's not harassment. It is always, first and foremost, consensual. Always get a person's consent before behaving in a flirtatious or intimate manner. If someone says no, that's a complete sentence. No, no means no. But so does I don't know or not right now or I'm going to go find my friend or just walking away. If you're not comfortable with these guidelines, don't go out. And if you're a victim of someone overstepping these guidelines, it's perfectly acceptable and encouraged to inform event staff so that the appropriate safety measures can be taken in response. You're listening to Trinity Radio. This has been a long journey, my friends. Thank you for sticking with me for our final bit, this last stereotypal type, all together. When you were a kid or a teenager, maybe some point in your formative years, you ever maybe wear some goth or punk attire to like a Christmas party or maybe like Thanksgiving dinner or something like that? <laughs> Your mom's like apologizing on your behalf, like, oh, sorry about them. They're just, they're going through a phase. <laughs> that brings me to my last stereotype, that it's just a phase and the goth scene is dead. Er, wrong. Three exes. The goth subculture still exists today and it's thriving. And it's important to clear up all of the stereotypes mentioned herein because if a subculture seems inaccessible, people won't be able to join it. 
if people don't join it, it won't grow. It becomes stagnant. And when something's stagnant, it just dies. So goth isn't supposed to be treated as some like closed call to religion. It's supposed to be for outcasts. It's supposed to be against mainstream, but that doesn't make it inaccessible. Rare, maybe, but goths open to people of all colors with all types of personalities who believe in all kinds of practices. Most goths are peaceful and friendly people, and it's for all ages, gender identities, and interests, even if you're still exploring what that is. No one is entitled to this community more than anyone else. To prove a point, I wanted to interview some people who are a part of the goth community or self-proclaimed goths. This might also include people just exploring, so... Here we are. Club Sabbath is a premier goth, darkwave, and industrial nightclub event in San Diego, California. The event has been going strong for over 25 years. And on the second Saturday of every month at the Moreau, it wrangles in hundreds of people, self-proclaimed goths, dark souls, and supporters old and new. So to debunk the rumor that goth is dead, let's hear what the patrons had to say. This episode is about dispelling some of the common stereotypes about goth people. And I think a lot of stereotypes are made at, at a glance. What is something people assume about you because of your style? Probably that I don't like country music. <laughs> <laughs> Except for when I'm wearing my cowboy boots. Yeah. They might not assume that. Because I was raised in the South and I became goth in middle school and I still am in my 30s. And you got some yellow going on, which is kind of contrary to like the typical doomy, gloomy goth aesthetic. So why yellow for you? That is a great question. Um, I dyed my hair a lot when I was in high school and I didn't for a long time. And I met a woman on the train. I was traveling for work. She had yellow hair and she <laughs> said something about pee heads unite. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> pee heads that's exactly what I want to be as a pee head. And I literally made an appointment with my hairstylist while I was on the train to get my hair dyed yellow. How long have you been wearing your hair dyed yellow? It's been a few months now. So it's an evolving style. Oh, absolutely. Always evolving. Always changing with what's popular and also with what's not popular. I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think the crux of goth is just kind of challenging the mainstream. Absolutely. And how to some people that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's scary, not only for those people who don't want to embrace it, but for those who do like to stand out when they go to target, yeah. when they go to <laughs> the mall, you know, do I want people to stare at me? Like, it's not that I want attention. It's that I want you to know that I'm not you. Well, that, thank you for that insight. Yeah. That's, that's a kind of like deep cut I'm going for. Tell me a bit about this booth you have set up here. What is this? What are you representing? Hi, I'm Annie. I am part of Goth Collective. And Goth Collective started with wanting to create local, inclusive, all-ages events in San Diego. We started with the San Diego Goth Picnic, which is now a monthly event. Uh, we also organize goth clothing swaps. Uh, we just started organizing a monthly trivia and karaoke night. And we also partner with local movie companies to give folks free advanced screenings for horror movies. And another part of what we like to do is to support small businesses, independent artists, and musicians through Instagram and just making sure that we highlight and raise up all of the amazing, diverse people in our scene and help them connect with the rest of the community and other people who would be interested. I love that. <laughs> the goth scene we're here at 
a goth club. Yeah, Notorious Goth Club. Yeah. But do you identify as a goth person or like? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I, I have a lot of identities, and um, what I think is good about the alternative goth scene, um, especially out here in so- Southern California, San Diego, is that it embraces a lot of people. You know, back when I started over 10 years ago, it was a little more regimented, and um, you had to wear the right things, certain clothes, certain boots in order to fit in, and nowadays there's quite a spectrum. So I have a raver side, too. I go to Burning Man regionals. I'm into metal. So I, I, I like to have a diverse uh, set of music interests. So I won't relegate myself to just one bucket. Uh, after all, my hair is not even black. <laughs> it's quite blonde. I was just talking to Izzy about that. How she has like bright yellow hair. Yes, and that's kind yes, of I take encouragement. So this episode is going to be about stereotypes. Oh. Like we talked about the emo scene or being Mexican or being a guy or being a goth. For me personally, I'm not goth. I'm more like a metalhead. What I love about the goth scene is that it intertwines with the alternative scene, the the, the emo scene, the metal scene. Yeah. So it kind of brings everything. Hell, even the Mexican to me likes the goth stuff because you know why? Mexican culture is very gothic. So all these communities you're interested in, what are some things they all have in common? Well, they are way nicer compared to other people. Like non-violent. Non-violent, yeah. Like- People think that, you know, oh, they're violent, they're devil worshippers, but... Devil worshippers! I talk a lot about that, and, like, I was raised Catholic, so I know how it works pretty well. From my experience, you know, a lot of guys are atheists or non-religious, but, you know, hey, we just love this stuff because we love it. You know, we're not violent, we're not devil worshippers, you know, we're not bad people. My parents are Catholic, but they're very liberal. Like, my dad, my mom, they have a limited live attitude. They don't care if someone's gay, transsexual, lesbian... No, a different color, disabled. Let them live their life. You know, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. What do you hope to see in the future for the baby bats? I've been seeing a really large explosion of the death rock scene, which is really cool. And along with that, I love seeing all the DIY elements that seem to be coming back into goth and having more prevalence. And I think it's really cool that a lot of Gen Z is going back to their roots. A lot of them are extremely educated on the music scene thanks to having accessibility to the internet and being able to really embrace goth, not just as an aesthetic, but also as a community and as a music-based subculture. I love seeing baby bats who are teenagers listening to Ex Mal Deutschland and Bad Gadget and a lot of bands I never would have been able to find when I was searching at Tower Records as a kid. And I think that's really cool. I hope to see a lot more of that. Thank you so much. I love that. Thank you so much, Club Savit, for having Trinity Radio Podcast on the premises last Saturday. In order of guest appearance, those were our friends and listeners, Izzy, Annie, Misty, and Helasio, in that order. To keep up with Izzy and Annie, you can follow their project on Instagram at gothcollectiveorg. If you're into electro, industrial music, and dark wave, definitely check out Misty, aka DJ Misty Tonic. Misty is a singer, songwriter, and producer in that space. She's on Instagram at misty.tonic, M-Y-S-T-I dot T-O-N-I-K. She is also on SoundCloud at Misty Tonic and Bandcamp. And finally, our friend Halasio, probably the most friendly social butterfly, certainly not limited to the goth scene. He's almost like the Casper the Friendly Ghost of emo nights, the metal world, bonfire meetups, etc. So 
if you're attracted to that. Oh, and also gaming. I know he loves gaming. You can contact him on Instagram at helasio.salazar. That's G-E-L-A-S-I-O dot S-A-L-A-Z-A-R. And finally, the hub of it all, Club Sabbath. Club Sabbath can be spot with your own eyes monthly at the Moreau in Hillcrest, Central San Diego. Keep up with Club Sabbath on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Club Sabbath, C-L-U-B-S-A-B-B-A-T. Follow for an inside look on the club, DJs, performers, and how to get tickets to the next big event. Trinity Radio. For our last song, I wanted to play something modern, and I wanted to play something that I didn't find originally. I I wanted to express the importance of like six degrees of separation and community and how having friends makes everything better. So this last song I discovered a few years ago through my friend Nicole, aka DJ Psych Priestess. Nicole and I met up in a garage and started spinning some tracks. It was just three of us. Um, She played this song by the duo Years of Denial. We were jamming in her friend's auto shop garage and it was perfectly like grungy and dark and like booming against the tin of all like the tools and stuff. And it was so industrial. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Years of Denial is the project of two DJs and producers, Jerome Trechnian from France and Barcosina Hunasova from Czech Republic. Years of Denial describe their sound as revisiting the dark corner of post-punk, industrial, and rave culture. I mean, hello, that is Trinity Radio to the core. The duo draws upon the darker, ambient, and eerie sensibilities of goth music with a plethora of both modern and older dub devices, creating this really psychedelic plunge into, like, a digital black hole. This is the song Now, Here, by Years of Denial on Trinity Radio.
That was Years of Denial, now here. Since Psy Priestess played that song for me, I started telling some of my other DJ friends about it. And now that song is really caught on in the San Diego goth clubs. I want to give the tip of my hat to my friend Nicole, DJ Psych Priestess, uh, The Power of Connection. So goth is not dead, y'all. Nicole put me onto that song. I put my girlfriend on, who's also a very successful and talented DJ. And she played it at Club Sabbath. So much reach there. And then other subsequent DJs just started to follow. Now, every time I hear some Years of Denial song on the dance floor, I usually see people shazamming it. And now you know, hats off to Psych Priestess for being the plug on such an awesome song. And if you like songs like that, you should keep up with Psych Priestess. She's actually one of the organizers and resident DJs at a local event called Rapture San Diego. Rapture is an industrial, goth, EBM, noise, and dark electronic event located at Till 2 Club every third Saturday. That's right. So you've got Sabbath on second Saturday and Rapture's on third Saturday. They've got some of the most hard, dark, aggressive beats San Diego has to offer. Actually, probably the hardest and darkest. Keep up on Instagram at R-A-P-T-U-R-E dot S-D. In addition to goth clubs, there are other ways to plug into the community. One of my favorite websites, newgothcity.com. That's your guide to goth events in all 50 states, right? Not just clubs, but shows, theater, etc. There's the Goth Collective. Go to Instagram at gothcollective.org or their website, gothcollective.org. It is a social organization that brings together a diverse, inclusive community of goth people and events. If you're in Southern California, check out my girl Julie's website, socalgoth.com, S-O-C-A-L-G-O-T-H.com. It is a very robust guide to events in the Southern California area. For a nationwide thing, check out the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. This is an amazing roadshow that showcases small businesses and artists with all things weird like taxidermy, creepy clothing, funeral collectibles, and more. And finally, there is Atlas Obscura, an online magazine and travel company that catalogs the unusual and obscure travel destinations all around the world. The cool part of that is it's user-generated content, so you can add stuff too. And one more thing, World Goth Day, May 22nd. That's not a place to go. It's just a thing to celebrate. And yeah, these are all the ways that you can continue learning about this undead subculture. All right, Sparkle Darkles, this concludes Trinity Radio, episode six. I can't believe this has been going on for six months. Thank you so much for your support. Each month, I feel like this community grows bigger and stronger and smarter. To keep up in between episodes, please give me a follow on Instagram at trinity.xm. You'll get some ongoing knowledge bombs. We can chit-chat. Sometimes I'll post the occasional meme and always will post all announcements. If you also want to check out my host website, that is trinity.xm.alitu, A-L-I-T-U dot com. On Alitu, you'll find all of my podcast stations. So that's links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts in case you want to share. And if you like this episode, please give me a like or a five-star review. That will move us up the charts for some more visibility. Once again, I am DJ Cheshireen. Catch you next month for episode seven.